Thank you for coming out this evening, and uh, take your Bibles with me. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we spoke uh, concerning the foundations of our faith uh, by discussing the first part of that study, and that was doctrine. And uh, if you remember last week, we, we defined doctrine as teaching. That's what doctrine is. Um, but when considering our spiritual doctrine, when considering the um, the, 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 the teachings of Christ, we looked at a few things. First of all, uh, we talked about, I talked about our doctrine determined, and uh, we, we, determ- we said that we determine true doctrine by, te- by proving it against uh, truth, by testing it against the proofs of truth. And I said three things about that. I said, number one, truth does not change. Number two, I said, truth does not compromise. And thirdly, I said, truth does not corrupt. And if we have true doctrine... If our doctrine is, is indeed true doctrine, it will not change, it does not compromise, and it does not corrupt. Um, if you have a church full of corrupt people, then they're not hearing true doctrine, because true doctrine does not corrupt. Uh, then we said, secondly, concerning doctrine, uh, the demonstration of, of doctrine. And we talked about uh, the way that we ourselves demonstrate our beliefs. And we said, I said three things. I said it begins with commitment. Uh, when people have true doctrine, it leads them to make commitments for Christ. Uh, secondly, I said this commitment leads to correction. And thirdly, I said that the result in this was confirmation, uh, a confirmation of an assurance of our faith and, and a confirmation uh, to those around us of our beliefs. And then, of course, we thirdly discussed last week uh, doctrine delivered, and we talked about from that that we do not follow cunningly devised fables, but that our doctrine has passed down through the generations from men who, who walked and spoke with Christ. John said, we saw him with our eyes, we handled him with our hands, we listened to his words, and these are the things that they taught to us in the scriptures. So, uh, last week we talked about the first foundation of our faith, and that is doctrine. Now tonight, I want to look at and turn our attention to this matter of discipleship. So tonight we're going to look at foundations of our faith, discipleship. If you'll stand with me as we read from 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll read from verse, beginning at verse 8, and I'll read through verse 15. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil." And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Let us pray. Our Father, we do stand before you tonight, and we are humble, Lord, as we come to this place and realize the great love wherewith you loved us. And Father, we, we praise you and thank you for the grace that you've bestowed upon us, that has secured for us eternal life in the, uh, through, the, through the blood of Christ. And Lord, we also praise you tonight for the sanctification through the Holy Spirit, and Lord, for the guidance of the Holy Spirit that you've given us in our lives. And now, as we look at this matter of discipleship tonight, I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand Uh, what it is to be a disciple of Christ. Thank you for this time. We ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What is a disciple? And what is discipleship? Well, by definition, a disciple is a follower, one who accepts the doctrine of another and assists in the furtherance of that doctrine. Now, I I left some blanks on your sheet for you to go ahead and, 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 and define discipleship. You can use the definition I've given up here or as we go through the study. If you want to develop your own definition of discipleship, that would be wonderful. Um, A Christian disciple 
is a person who believes and practices the principles of Christian living as taught by Jesus Christ and as outlined in the Holy Scriptures. It's pretty easy to understand, right? That a Christian disciple is a disciple is a disciplined follower. So if we're disciples of Christ, that means we're going to be followers of Christ. And we're going to follow all the teachings that he has given us and he's outlined for us in the Holy Scriptures. Discipleship is the process which enables a person to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. So being a disciple is, a, is, a, is being a disciplined follower, a, a follower of the teachings of Christ. But discipleship, discipleship is a process. It's a process of growth. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, we read, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes... Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. And the Lord has a, the Lord desires that we would grow. You, you parents, you, you want your children to grow, right? You don't want them to, to, to uh, be stagnant in their growth. I, I love my grandson. You'll forgive me if I boast about my grandson for a few moments. It's my prerogative tonight. I love my grandson, but you know what? I want him to grow. I don't want him to stay little because right now I can't do a whole lot with him. I mean, I can sit on the floor and I can go, goo, goo, I got goo, goo, goo. But that's about it. I want him to grow. I want him to be able to stand. I want him to be able to walk and run so he and I can go out in the backyard and have some fun. I want him to grow. And, you know, Christ doesn't want you to stay stagnant in your Christian life. He wants you to grow. And the way we grow is, is through the Word. That's what, that's what Peter told us. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. And, and furthermore, discipleship is the process that equips us to overcome joyfully the pressures and trials of this present life. You know, you don't have to be around very long to understand that life is tough. It really is. Life is difficult. There's lots of pressures in life. There's lots of stress in life. And, and, and discipleship is a process that helps us to learn how to overcome these things with great joy and peace. James, in, in, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he writes, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James' words in this passage imply there's a process of growth, a process of learning. Now, this process requires believers to constantly examine their thoughts, constantly examine their words and their actions, that they be and that they exist in accordance with the Word of God. We are to, we are to desire this, this milk of the Word, that we may gain understanding, that we may gain knowledge, and that we may grow in the knowledge of the Lord, and, and in so doing, that we may mature as believers and and, and be able to uh, enjoy this life that the Lord has given us and not live under the, under the, under the sense of always being in, in turmoil. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes in verses 26 and 27, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others... I myself should be a castaway. As disciples, you and I have the duty, as we defined earlier, as we defined last week, we have the duty to promote the doctrine of our Lord. We must commit our hearts, our minds, and our entire person to gaining the knowledge and the understanding of the will of God. We should always be ready to give testimony for the hope, Peter said, that is, that is within us. <laughs> and disciple others to also walk in this way. 
We read this a few moments ago, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, first of all, I I would state that I I do pray that you exhibit a hope in your life. I, I trust that as God's children, that we don't live our lives in, in utter defeat, that we don't live our lives with, with such, a, such a, a dark cloud about us, but that we, we exhibit to those around us a hope, a hope that, that we will one day be in the presence of the Lord and that, and that we will be in, in heaven for all eternity. So, so Peter tells us to, to sanctify the Lord God, and, and, and this all denotes a process of growth. And this growth is what we call discipleship. Uh, discipleship is, 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 is one teaching another. I, I, draw, upon, I draw upon men like, like our pastor. I draw upon men like Brother Moline, uh, men of, of age, men of wisdom. And, and, and I, I, I listen to them and I talk with them and I gain information. I study the Word of God. Why do I do all that? So, so I can please the Lord? Yes, in part. But also so that I can, I can grow and, and, and that I can mature as a believer and that I can help younger and other Christians to do the same. So now that, that we have established in the first few moments of this message that discipleship, when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about the process of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow me to take some time tonight and share with you some of the elements of discipleship. Now, certainly, there are many more than the three that I'm going to discuss, but given time restraints, I, I, I could probably, if really, if I want to sit here and teach a lesson on discipleship, a, a thorough lesson, it would probably take eight, nine, ten lessons. I don't know. But we're going to, we're going to condense this. We're going, to give you the, we're going to give you the Reader's Digest version uh, tonight of, of, of discipleship by looking at three things. So I want to look at these. Number one is the word consecration. Consecration. And consecration is putting God first. In this matter of discipleship, we must have consecration in, in our life. And that is learning to, to, to separate ourselves from all the things around us and putting God first in our life. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And we're going to begin reading here at verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. We read here, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord or agreement hath uh, Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I want you to note that, those, that phrase, I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I want you to notice in verse 17 some, some, very, some very direct phrases. Uh, uh, come out from among them. We also see that the Lord states, be ye separate. And again, he says, touch not the unclean thing. Now, these phrases denote a direct command. Uh, therefore, uh, they are not merely admonitions. In other words, the Lord didn't say it would be a good thing for you to come out from among them. He didn't say, well, you know, it would really help you if you would separate. He didn't say, gee, it would be real nice if you didn't touch an unclean thing. That's not what these are. These aren't admonitions. They are directives. He said, come out. Be ye separate. Touch not 
These are these are direct commands. They're uh, they're, they're they're directives. Now, since a disciple is a disciplined follower, and by the way, not all Christians can call themselves disciples because discipleship has nothing to do. It really has no, discipleship has really nothing to do with election and grace. There are a lot of people who are saved that are not that I would say are not disciples of Christ because they're not disciplined followers of Christ. So we're talking here about discipleship. And if we desire to be a disciple, then we will be a disciplined follower of Christ. Therefore, a true disciple will obey the commands of his master. In this passage of scripture, uh, we, we see a promise. I told you to note the words where it says, and I will receive you. Now, we have to be very careful here, lest we make this verse seem to suggest a works salvation. Uh, in other words, do this, do this, do this, and I'll receive you. That's not, that's not the meaning here. Let's, let's not confuse this. The Lord isn't saying, if you separate, if you don't touch the unclean thing, if you come out, then, then I will receive you. That's not what's being implied here. We have to be careful. Um, the meaning here is not to be received unto salvation. Rather, the Lord here promises that he will take, take us under his wings of protection. When he says, come out from among them and be separate and don't touch the unclean thing, he's saying, and I will provide you a haven. Do you understand what he's saying now? The Lord is saying, come out, of the, come out of the world, come out of the false teaching, come out of the false doctrines. Be separate from them. Don't, don't align yourselves with them. Don't join with them. Do not touch the, 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 the unclean things. Make yourself pure in the sight of the Lord. And God says, and I will provide for you a haven. I will receive you. I'll, I'll take you in uh, to myself. Uh, the Lord here promises that he would take us under his wing of protection. He would take care of us, and he will preserve us. He will keep us as, as the apple of his eye, and, and he will be a wall of fire about us uh, while we're in this world, just as he was with the, with the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness. God, God led them by day by, with a cloud of, of smoke, and he, and, and he led them by night by a pillar of fire. And then... When the Lord has guided us by his counsel, we will be received into glory. If you recall, Jesus warned us that the world would hate us because we were his disciples. In John chapter 15 and verse 19, we read, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And more so even when we, when we seek to, 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 to live a, a life of discipleship. Uh, Jesus here is not speaking to a varied group of believers. In this passage of scripture in John 15, he's not, he's not preaching a great message. Who is he speaking to? His 12 disciples. He's speaking privately with his disciples. And, and here he's, he's directly directing them. And to be a disciple of Christ Today, tonight, for you to be a disciple of Christ will bring with it the same hatred of the, from the world that it brought to these 12 men in Christ's day. If you don't believe that, try the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul writes, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Walk through this life leading a godly life before men, and you will see that men will hate you, men will revile you, you will be persecuted. So God has promised us that he will not leave us unguarded against this world. Therefore, we can consecrate our lives unto him. We can dedicate our service unto him. Why? Because we know that in Christ we shall find rest, and we will find protection under his wings. And this consecration begins and ends 
with Christ in the center of everything. Jesus should be in the center of everything in your life. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, Christ will be in the very center of your entire life. Your marriage should have Christ at its center. So often young people today, they, they, they marry for, for, for several different reasons, and, and most of the time it's not because they, they, they know that this is Christ's will for them. And, and what do we see so often today? We see divorce after divorce after divorce. People, uh, people become divorced today. I, I don't know what the current numbers are, but I think it's, I, I know it's over 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's probably close to 60 or 70% today of marriages that end in divorce. And in the, in the wake of divorce comes children who are abandoned and children who are, who are, are, are left brokenhearted. And, and it's just a terrible thing. And, and I see it happening with more and more frequency among believers, among Christian people. And, and we see that if, if we have Christ in the center of our marriage, then the things will work out in our lives. Uh, not only should you have your marriage centered on Christ, but secondly, your career should be centered around God's will for you. You know, I encourage, when I, when I talk to juniors and seniors uh, in my high school here, in our high school, and I, I counsel them, I often ask them, what do you believe God wants you to do? You know, it's, it's, it's not what I want, primarily. It's what does God want me to do? And, and the things that, that and, and by the way, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager, if you're a 30-year-old man changing careers, if you're a 50-year-old man changing careers, what a wonderful time and opportunity to stop and say, Father, what do you want me to do? I'll center my life on your will. And that's what, that's what we have to do. We consecrate, disciples consecrate themselves. They put God first. Make sure that, that, that what you pursue in this life is what God wants you to do. And thirdly, let me say this, your entertainment should revolve around Christ, never creating a conflict in your worship of him. You know, so many of our Christian people today have have taken on the world's philosophy. I saw a commercial on TV recently, and and they say, I don't even remember what this is for, but they say, uh, we save the best for Sunday. If, if, it's, if it's something good, then it's on Sunday. And you know what the world has done? The world has made Sunday their day of entertainment. They play football games on Sunday. They, they run race cars on Sunday. They even go bass fishing on Sunday. Now that's a slap in the face. By the way, I'll give you a bit of history here for a real quick second. The BASS Association was founded by Baptist men. You may not be aware of that in Georgia. It was the Baptist Angler Sports Society. That's what it was. And it was a group of Christian men who formed a, a, a group of a, a fellowship so that they could go fishing and have competition. And initially when they started, they would never fish on a Sunday. But as it grew nationally and became more and more popular, it became corrupted to where it is today. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um... Listen, Sunday is the Lord's day. Amen? It's not travel day. Begin your, begin, do what I, my wife and I do. Begin your vacation on Monday and end it on Saturday. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I just, the Lord, Sunday is the Lord's day. You ought to be in church. And if you're, if you're traveling like I do out of state, then, then go to church on Sunday. Uh, who... When did, when did God come down and say, okay, it's all right for you to entertain yourself on my day? No, it's not okay. My daughter went to a Bible college, and, and uh, when it was time to go back after, after Thanksgiving break, I told her, I said, well, you're going back on Saturday. She said, well, Daddy, the college said it's okay for us to travel back on Sunday. I told her, I said, I don't care what the college says. I care what God says. You're going to go back on Saturday so you can be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, not driving back to school on Sunday evening. Listen, make your entertainment center around Christ. How, what, what a novel idea. 
Be in church on Sunday. Honor the Lord. And How can you call yourself a disciple if you disobey the Lord in the very first thing, which is to honor the Sabbath and honor the Lord? Keep it holy. So your entertainment should, should, should be centered around Christ and should never create a conflict in your worship of him. True discipleship is not possible unless one has first consecrated his life to God. You cannot be a disciple of Christ. Now listen to this carefully. You cannot be a disciple of Christ and a friend of this world at the same time. James tells us that in James chapter 4 and verse 4 where he states, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Hey, try that with your spouse. I know I'm married to you, but I'm, I have so much fun with the lady down the street. I'm just going to go spend, I'm going to go spend the day with her, okay? I love you. Oh, I love you, but I'm just going to spend some time with her. Try that out, guys. Not literally. Please don't. (laughs) But we do it with God, and we don't seem to think twice about it, do we? The devil knows. Now, you listen to this. The devil knows that if he can get you to love the world just a little bit, then he knows that he can get you to forsake God just a little bit, too. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warned us and said, Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And that's Jesus talking. Jesus said you can't do it. You've got to get on or get off. You're either for me or you're against me. If you're a friend of this world, you're not a friend of me. That's what the Lord is telling us. So we must consecrate ourselves. And discipleship begins with consecration, which is putting God first. And secondly, discipleship continues forward with conformity. Conformity to Jesus' teachings. In John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32, we read, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now remember that we define the disciple as one who accepts the doctrine of another and assists in the furtherance of that doctrine. But we must state here that it is possible uh, for one to accept something without conforming to it. Take traffic laws. Speed limit is 65 on the freeway. If everyone conforms, then why am I being passed like some, some gray-haired old man on Sunday morning heading to the coffee shop? Oh, we all accept the fact that there are speed limits, but do we conform to them? So let me establish right now that it's possible to accept something, but not conform to it. And this is true in, in the case of many, many Christians. Now, I find it imperative to note here, however, that we are expected to conform to God's principles. In Romans 8.29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, what could possibly be meant by this phrase, to be conformed to the image of his Son? It would not be expedient here to just explain this away by offering a generalized statement uh, that we will one day, after the rapture, be like Christ. That's what so many, that's what so many people who, who, reject, who reject the doctrine of, um, of preservation, that's what they say. Oh, what this means is that one day we will be like Christ. Well, to take this position would imply that what we do between the point of our repentance... And the moment of our final redemption are irrelevant. For we are already predestinated to conform to Christ in that day. And this teaching would be consistent with the doctrine of many who state that 
perseverance is not necessary for the believer. And the reason they don't want to accept the doctrines of perseverance, because if they do, they would have to cross off two-thirds of those claims that they have of people being saved. But this is not the context, nor is it the intent of the scripture. If that were true, then there would be no need for the Holy Spirit to come to us. Since there would be no expectation of perseverance or conformity, we can just choose to live godly or choose not to live godly. We could just live like we choose, because in that final day, the Lord would change us to conform us into the image of his Son. And this is the doctrine of a rebellious and wicked generation who seek to please their own flesh. So is this correct? Is this what Paul meant when he said that we were predestinated to conform to the image of Christ? Well, allow me to offer you the true interpretation of this verse. It is obvious, given the language of this verse, that Paul is referring to God's elect. And we know from the scriptures, the elect are chosen to be holy. In Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 3 through 4, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. And before the foundation of the world, God elected me and elected you, and he ordained that we would be Holy, So we are expected to be holy. But not only are we chosen to be holy, but we are also called to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read verses 14 through 16, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written... Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we can rightly determine that in order for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, we must live a life of holiness. Not perfection, for this is impossible for sinful flesh. We cannot possibly live perfect lives, but rather live in holiness, which is attainable for you and I through the sanctifying work of of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Again, he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. You see, we, we can live holy lives because we have been empowered to live holy. We have been empowered to overcome temptation. God has mortified the flesh, which means, does not mean he's eradicated it, but it means he has limited its authority. I've used the illustration many, many times of, of, of a pit bull being chained to a tree. The pit bull represents the old nature of man which, which controlled us and made us do its will. But God has taken that, that nature and he has limited its authority. He's put it on a leash. He's chained it. And God says, stay away from it and he can't hurt you. But go sit down under the tree and let him get a hold of you and you'll have problems. Remember this. If you heard nothing else I said tonight, and you remember nothing else I said, remember this. You do not sin because you have to sin. You sin because you choose to sin. God has given you, through the Holy Spirit, he has given you the strength and power to overcome temptation. The problem is, we don't want to overcome temptation. We want to sin. We want to remain a friend of the world. So quit lying to yourself. Don't listen to Flip Wilson because the devil doesn't make you do anything. You choose to do it. So next time you sin and you come to the realization of it, stop and say, God, forgive me. 
because I chose to do wrong. Oh, yes. We are admonished. We are admonished in Scripture to conform to Christ and his teachings. And this is done by means of a transformation of the mind of the believer. We've been sold a bill of goods in America as Christians. We've been led to believe that, oh, we struggle so hard and try to do right, but the devil just beats us and beats us and beats us and beats us. And I say, phooey. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're going to look at that verse in just a few moments. Oh, no. We're to conform. When we hear from the word of God, thus saith the Lord, then it's a closed and finished deal. We say, amen, that's it. No more discussion. Problem is, we want to we wanna stay as close as we can to the, to the world, and every now and then we slip over the other side. Just get as close as you can to God and stay as far as you can away from the world. This transformation is, is a transformation of the mind of the believer, and it begins at our new birth and continues throughout our Christian life. None of us ever reach the finish line, but we grow because of discipleship. We continue to, to learn, and we continue to grow and, and share what we've learned with each other and, and, and build our lives as believers. So as, as Christians, first, um, tonight I said that we must consecrate our life. Secondly, we must conform. And then thirdly is the word continuance. Continuance, which implies keeping the faith. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, we read, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me make a statement. Faith is hoping For that which seems unattainable. And seeing that which cannot be seen. That's the definition of faith. It's hoping for that which seems unattainable. And seeing that which cannot be seen. As believers we are given by God this great gift of faith. Without without Christ we can have no faith. That's why lost men don't have faith. Because they don't have Christ. Faith comes with Christ. And what we do with this faith will determine whether or not we are true disciples of Christ. Now allow me to share some thoughts with you concerning the faith of a disciple of Christ. First, disciples live by faith. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 we read, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now there's a comparison made here. The proud man, the man that trusts in his own righteousness and works, it is an unjust soul. It's an unjust man. But the just man, the man that is justified by Christ alone, he is a just soul, a redeemed man. This man lives by his faith in God and his faith in God alone. Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 6 that the unsaved man frets and worries about the things of life. But we're not to be that way. Now let's consider this for a moment. We claim to be men and women of faith, but are we? Someone asked me this, is it a sin to worry? And I would have to say yes. It is a sin to worry. If we believe that God is in control of all things, then we should know that God's will shall be done in every aspect of our lives. And if God's will is always done, then worry is useless. But more importantly than that, worry brings into question God's faithfulness and integrity. When we worry, we, call, we, we question the integrity of God. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he shall not do it, or hath he said, and he shall not do it, or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Listen, tonight, let me just say this. Put aside your fears and concern and go forward with confidence. If God be for us, who can be against us? We don't need to worry. Jesus said, don't, don't even think about tomorrow. That's what he said. Take no thought for the morrow. 
God knows what you need tomorrow, and he will provide what you need tomorrow. Live for him now. Live for him today, and let God worry about your tomorrow. My tomorrow is, is assured. It's either here on earth with the provisions I need or in heaven with God. So I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Disciples live by faith. Secondly, disciples stand in faith. I don't have time to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, where we, we read about the armor of God, and, and, and the apostle talks to us about, about these important things. But uh, you can read them later. It is so important to remember that we are in a battle that cannot be fought by human means. In this war, we are not killed by smart bombs. In this battle we face day by day, we are not killed by guided missiles. We do not dodge bullets. We do not duck and cover from grenades. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our weapons in this war are the word of God and faith. We must wield the sword of the Spirit and allow it to do what only it can do. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 we read, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're to, we're to use the word of God in our warfare and allow it to do what only it can do, what we cannot do. And having done all that we can do through the word of God, we are to stand in our faith. We are to trust that, that God will do what we cannot do. The time will come, by the way, when all that you can do is stand by and watch what God will do. Now, that is not to say that you and I must not do what we can. We can't just pull up a chair, sit down and say, okay, God, go to it. God expects you to do what you can do. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, we read, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Having done all that we can to arm ourselves with this armor that God has given us. What is this armor? Well, let me, let me describe it to you. First of all, we have greaves of truth. And these greaves of truth that we wear is our doctrine. That's why doctrine is so important, folks. It's not just a minor subject. It's not, oh, well, you know, all churches are the same, and, you know, if you go hear one preacher, you've heard them all. No, 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 no. Doctrine is important. It's part of our armor. Uh, then we have the breastplate of righteousness, which is, which is our confession of, uh, and repentance before, before God. It's the daily cleansing. We come to the Lord and we, we confess our sins and we beg and we ask him for the strength to forsake them. Next, we have our feet shod with the gospel. This is our testimony and witness. And we are to use these things to our testimony and our witness. We're, we're to protect these things. We're to, we're to, uh, they're valuable parts of our armor. Next, we have the shield of faith. And this is submission to God. Then we, we wear the helmet of salvation, which is the knowledge and the assurance that we are God's children. And lastly, we, we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. This is our, this is our armor. This is our battlement. And we're to make sure, every day of our lives, we're to make sure we have every piece of this armor on. We're to make sure each day as we as we go out into this world that we are protected against the fiery darts of the devil. And as Paul said, having done all, we stand with our faith. Then thirdly, letter C, disciples overcome through faith. Now this is a very, uh, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, we read, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, this is a very comforting thought, the truth that no matter what happens through this life, in the end, we win the victory. Whether by life or by death, God is glorified in all that we do, and we win the victory. What is your final destination? My final destination is the throne of God. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. I know, I know where my final destination is. And though I may suffer on this, in, on this earth, though I may, I may suffer in this life, I know that in the end, I know that the victory is mine, that I will be with God for all eternity. This is a very comforting truth. But this truth is even more than that. We do not have to live in defeat through this life. We don't have to wait till we die to have the victory. We have the victory now. In every instance in our life. Our enemies, the the flesh, the world, and the devil, they have no power over us today. They can only control us if we allow them to control us. Do not forget, John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Some will say, but I just can't seem to get control of this thing. Well, let me say this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Others may say, people wouldn't listen to someone like me. And to that I say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is more powerful, God or Satan? The flesh flesh will cause you to live in defeat. And, and it will cause you to live in submission to the world and, and all that it offers, the, the lusts of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Faith, on the other hand, faith will lead you to living in the power of the Holy Spirit and will offer you all the benefits thereof. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Now let me ask you this. Tonight... And every day that God allows you to stay on this earth, are you going to live conquered? Are you going to live a conquered life? Are you going to get up every day and just just walk out into the world and say, Okay, do your best. Have at me. I, I can't fight you. I just can't fight it. Is that how you're going to live your life? Or are you going to live, are you going to be a conqueror? Are you going to get out there and say, Get behind me, devil, and stay there. Because you got nothing on me. Are you going to live a victorious life or a defeated life? It's up to you. It's your choice. But let me remind you what the Lord has to say in Romans chapter 8, verses 30. Let's turn to it. I don't think I put it on the screen, did I? Let's turn to it. Romans chapter 8. And we'll be done. This is the last scripture. So we'll finish whenever you get there. See, if we, if we finish late, it's your fault. Romans chapter 8. And we'll begin reading at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now, let me, let me stop here for a second. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Who's the, accuser, who's the accuser of the brethren? Who goes before the throne of God and accuses us? It's the devil himself. It's Satan. Now, let me, let me just state here something. Be careful about being accusative of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when you are, who are you imitating? That's right. So before you go around talking bad about God's children or criticizing another Christian, or or criticizing anyone for that matter, before you open your mouth to rail a hurtful word about someone else, you better stop and you better... Take a sniff because there's probably smoke in the neighborhood because you're behaving just like the devil. Let's read on. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So Jesus, right now, he's sitting at the throne of God making intercession for you and me. Who shall separate us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now look at verse 37. 
Paul says, nay, or no. None of these things, none of these things can separate us from the will and the love of Christ. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Discipleship. It requires consecration, which is putting God first in all things. Discipleship, it requires conformity, which is living by the principles of Christ. Discipleship, it requires continuance, which is living in, by, and through faith. Are we disciples of Christ tonight? Uh, We like to think we are, right? But are the characteristics we've described a, a part of our daily life? If so, then we can truly call ourselves disciples of Christ. But if not, then let us learn to submit to God. And let us allow him to change our hearts and transform our minds. And let us allow him to strengthen us and give us the faith and the courage that it takes to live for him. That's the foundation of our faith, folks. Doctrine. Discipleship. Next week, we're going to talk about that third leg, the third foundation. We're going to talk about duty. Three great words. Doctrine, discipleship, and duty. Are we disciples of Christ? Not by our own mind's definition, but according to the word of God. Are we disciples of Christ? Let us pray. Our Father, each of us stand here tonight and we all have faults. We all have weaknesses. We all fail you in in, in different ways. But, Father, we desire that we would be your disciples, and we desire that discipleship would be a part of our life, that we would be growing constantly, maturing, becoming more and more Christ-like in our life every day. Help us, Lord. We, We can't do it. We can only do these things through the, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we, we, we submit ourselves to your teachings. We submit ourselves to the truth of your word. We yield ourselves to the direction and guidance of your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us and help us to grow. Thank you for this church. We thank you for the ministry of preaching in this church, the truth of the word that goes forth. We ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us and help us to do those things which are glorifying unto you. Thank you for all who have come out tonight. I ask that you use this message to, to strengthen us and, and, and help us to grow. Thank you for this time now. We ask in Jesus' name that you would bless it. Amen.